I had to tell the doctor the truth that yeah. I've had a termination. And this is where I had it. It's just like, I'm glad you came now because some people wait weeks up to weeks and then it's either we have to remove your entire uterus or um, you die. Hey mamas, welcome back to The Whole Mama Show. I'm your host, Aisha O'Reilly, and we're revealing the untold stories of motherhood. So this episode really is, I think, possibly the most untold story of motherhood. Abortion. I know that word stirs up a lot of emotions for different people. I assure you that it is an experience that so many women, possibly more than we really know, go through but very few share. You're not the only mama who's had an abortion. Please go ahead and subscribe to my channel and follow me on my social media pages, ads Aisha and life. And if you're listening to this on an audio podcast, please go ahead and leave a review. If you have listened to any of my other episodes, a review and a rating out of five is perfect. It helps me reach more women with these stories. So before we get into this episode, I would like to issue a trigger warning as my guest story contains some explicit details. Paul is a journalist, a digital content creator, a mother, a sister, and very much an activist for women's rights. This is her story. Hi. Hello. Today is the first day we were just chatting that this is the first time we're actually physically Meeting. Meeting each other. So, hello. It's so good to finally meet each other. Feel the same way. Yeah. So, for the benefit of my listeners and my watchers, please can you share who you are, what you do, and who calls you Mama? So, my name is Kao Palele Palele but I go by Kao. And on social media, I'm Feminist Mommy, or Mommy Feminist, because Instagram couldn't give me my Feminist Mommy handle. Uh, um, I'm a journalist by profession. Um, I'm also a blogger, a content creator, a commentator. Um, funny enough, people think I only talk about motherhood, but I also comment on things like politics, um, mm-hmm. things that are affecting the country. Who calls me mom is a nine-year-old called Umpile and a three-year-old called Leo. As feminist mommy, I'm also the co-host of a podcast called Breaking Cycles with Karabo. And essentially, it's really about who we are on social media. Mm-hmm. It's about talking about conscious and gentle parenting. But I think more for me, it's about how I use my feminist principles to raise my children. And I know it's always bizarre for people. What do you mean feminist? principles and raising children but it's essentially what my brand is about it's about using those principles of kindness sharing of power equity to raise my children mm, i love that you know when you were just saying now people are like what do you mean <laughs> i don't want to fill in the gaps yet but so i'm going to ask you do you do you know what they're talking about there i think it's because people tend to think feminism is just about women equality or yeah. equalizing women with men specifically yes but then feminism is about everyone including children it's about how we relate to each other as a society it's about getting rid of the brokenness that's why i use the word equity because it's more than just about equality mm. i don't want to work in the minds with men <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not one of the same things that men have to go through because some of what they go through is rough. Yeah, right. And we need to admit that. Mm. But I think for me, what I take about the essence of feminism is the humanity of all of us, and that includes my children. I never thought of it that way. I really don't. Yeah, because I mean, let's be real. Like when when people think of feminist or feminism, it's still very much steeped in the sort of nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, westernized 
you know, idea or perception of feminism is like, and it's this whole idea of, you know, the stereotypical, I'm not going to shave my armpit yeah. and I am, you know, I have the right to wear whatever I want. I'm not going to wear a bra, you know, those like, yeah. so it's very, I think a lot of people, um, because we are just so ingrained with this mentality of patriarchy and it, there's a lot of resistance. So especially as a mom of boys, if you say that, I can understand how people are like, hang on a minute. What's going on? Yeah, that's what you just mentioned. It's the reason why people are resistant is because white feminism and choice feminism is what's out there. Yeah. And what you just described is white feminism. I mean, you're talking about the being free to shave your armpits when they are girls in Africa who don't get sanitary towels who have or any kind of go to school. You know, we're talking about, oh, a woman's choice is inherently feminist, but is it really? What about women who can't make choices in the corners of the earth because of mm -hmm. the circumstances they face? So feminism is, it's a lot. But yeah. far for me as a black mom, I'm trying to show people a side of feminism that they might not know. That's yeah. popular. Yeah. 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 Even for me, like now I'm just like, oh, this is like, <laughs> I feel like this could be an, a whole other episode on its own. On its own. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, it is still very much part of yeah. motherhood, the right to choose how you're going to, you know, plan your family, your pregnancies and all of that. So I know we're going to get into that like a bit more deeply with your journey, but I'd love for you to start off to, to share with us. How did you become a mom for yeah. first time? I was actually 23. Yeah. When I got pregnant with my first child, it tells the story of how unconscious I was when I had a child. So I yeah. got pregnant just after graduating university, but I was still studying. You know, you graduate, but you still go back to do something. Right. So I was doing a radio course. So I got pregnant with my best friend, who was a guy. I had previously had an abortion because of a rape that I had in my first year of university. Okay. And I remember the decision to have a child was not because I was ready to have a child or I wanted to have a child. It was based on trauma. It was I don't want to experience another termination again. And that's how I had my first child. But looking back, I don't regret it. <laughs> yeah. I think the choice came at the right time, although circumstantial. Funny enough, it's the motherhood that brought the feminism. Before the motherhood, I was not a feminist at all. I was maybe trying to be all. You know, we're feminists without the term. Yes. But the minute I became a mom, that's when I was reborn. Because I noticed how different the world was for women with children. As much as it was different for me as a childless woman, it was way worse as a woman with a child. Especially expecting a boy in Africa. <laughs> that's when I was like... Okay, people are treating me differently. And that's how my motherhood and my feminism journey were born. They literally were born together. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I'm really, when you say people are treating me differently, how, how did you feel that they were treating you differently? Yeah. So, for example, I felt like I'm getting way more respect. But yes. the way in which I got respect, as soon as I did my res my research, was that I found out it's what is called benevolent sexism. So this idea that women are these amazing beings and they create these amazing people and be pregnant. And, you know, everybody was just, you know, let me, let me, let me shift for you. I'm not saying it's not great that people do that, but with it comes so much expectations of me to know what I'm doing, to act a certain way, to dress a certain way. Yeah. We had so many comments about, why are you dressed like that? I was a kid in varsity and someone said to me, why are you wearing shorts? You're disrespecting your unborn baby. And I heard a term that can describe that very well. They said, the world treats mothers as rappers and the children as the sweets. 
that's how I felt. That's interesting. Yeah. And now as you, as you're talking, because I'm thinking about my own experiences as well and how (laughs) I will never forget. I was pregnant with my firstborn and, um, you know, I'm not in varsity. I'm a working woman. You know, I'm grown. Yeah. But I still got that because I was, I, I used to love wearing, um, tight fitted dresses when I'm pregnant, you know? I don't like that. It's just not my style. Yes, good. I think it looks great. <laughs> it's gorgeous, though. You still, and that's the thing. It's like, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean that I've lost my sense of style and I don't want to look cute. You're still Aisha. I'm still Aisha, yeah. But I'm wearing this, you know, dress and it was the first time that anybody other than my mom, my mom is one thing, but this was like a stranger, a guy who I didn't even know, worked in the same office building as me. I went outside for fresh air. He's having a smoke and we start chatting, you know, small talk, whatever. And I was wearing one of those dresses and I had like a little belt mm-hmm. on top of my, of my bun. And he's like, huh, you don't think it's strangling your baby? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I'm pretty sure he's fine. <laughs> but this conversation, it's weird. Yeah. Like, what, who are you? But then I started like seeing some articles and, you know, these kinds of terms and things like that, where they, they explain that basically when a woman is pregnant, all of a sudden her body is not her own anymore. It's not. It's like, it's for the world to decide, you know, what she drinks and people are watching. Are you pregnant? Why are you drinking that glass of wine? It's like, it's apple juice. Like, oh, okay. It's not wine. And even if it was. It's none of your business. It's none of your business. You know, so like my friend was shamed for having a cup of coffee, even though her doctor okayed it because she was pregnant. She was at the queue at Starbucks or whatever. And someone's just like, What's you know, happening? people who don't even know her, they don't know the terms of her pregnancy. And so I feel like that's very much part of my knowledge. And um, yeah, I don't have an experience in abortion. Yeah. But my knowledge of it. As with, I know a lot of people in society is very superficial. Yeah. So this is the reason why I really wanted to chat to you today because it is probably the most untold story of motherhood in our society. And so you did mention that before you became a mom for the first time, you did have a termination before. So can you tell us a little bit background behind that decision? Yeah. I, I, cause I don't want to fill in any gaps here. Yeah. You know? No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so in 2009, I was in my first year of university. Um, and so cut a long story short, I was taken advantage of by someone much older than me. Yeah. Ended up getting pregnant and I was living with my father at the time. Um, in my first year and I remember I knew for sure that I could not tell him I'm pregnant nor could I tell him how it happened because knowing my father it wasn't even going to be oh my gosh you got raped this is what we're going to do also oh that's what I thought and that's what happens when you're disconnecting to your children disconnected to your children right you like you assumed what he was going to say based on what he showed me and what I perceived of him I didn't think she would be supportive of me or even protect me in any way. Mm. Um, and I asked a friend in Washington and she said she had had one when she was much younger. And then I went to a actual hospital 
to try get one without anybody knowing. Mm. And I was treated so horribly. Oh, I was at the hospital. Yeah, public hospital, almost like I was an annoying person. I shouldn't be there. Or I was this naughty child. Why am I there? Nobody even asked. So young, what mm. happened? You know, nobody. There was no one who said, you know, can we help? Well, how did you get pregnant? You know, all I got was just nurses speaking really horribly towards me and telling me to come back at a date where I'd already be showing. And I knew for sure that, but by this time, this fetus will be kicking and screaming. Yeah, I just can't do this. Yeah. Um, and that's how I ended up having an unsafe, illegal termination. Some of these clinics are people who actually do terminations, that like you will have a clinic that does a termination, but whether the actual doctor is not there, the nurses do it for the ultimate. God, I have kind of seen some Yeah. That was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my life. Um, it was uncared for. I felt unsupported. Even after the termination, I just felt so discarded. It was just like in with the, like out of the old, in with the next, let's go. We are having, we are doing business here. Yeah, let's keep moving. And according to my cousin who went there with me, she said it was very short. But for me, that whole process of them, whatever they were doing, they didn't even explain. You know, with medical things, you're supposed to tell someone yeah. what's happening to their body, what's going to happen, yes. what they should expect. And they're supposed to feel cared for. It's a medical procedure. But that didn't happen for me. And it just felt so long. And I even got an infection after because it seems the, the equipment was sterile. That's why it's very important to not just call it illegal, but to call it unsafe. And unsafe means could be fatal. Um, so I had an infection, but luckily I survived that infection. And I think for three years after that, I just carried the guilt. I felt like I was never going to be a mom. I didn't deserve to be a mom. I held on to the stigma because growing up, all I ever heard about with young girls or women that had termination was gossip. Mm-hmm. Not so good gossip. I always overheard either older women or other older girls or anybody in the community talking about it. And like, and it's a gossip thing. Yeah. This ugly thing. Yeah. And you know, this girl walks around the neighborhood with so much shame mm-hmm. because it's like a known secret. So for me, I held on to that and I felt like, oh my gosh, I can't tell anybody. My cousin knew, but held to so much guilt that I even thought I couldn't have children at some point. It was so painful that... You know when you have phantom pain? Yes. Like I would think of it and yeah. feel that pain. Yeah. And that's how I knew I was not healed. Yeah. Years later, I I was in my third year, I think, and I went to the seminar at Varsity when they were talking about abortion as if it's something empowering. <laughs> and I was sitting there like, what? There were these academics and women I really respected mm-hmm. um, at and they were so amazing the way they were talking about it. And I was like, what world am I living in? And they were talking about how to make it more progressive and accessible. And I was sitting there like, so what happened to me was actually quite unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started the journey of opening up about my termination. And I founded what we now call Abortion Support South Africa that offers telemedical abortion service services for up to 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. We work with pharmacies to provide the service and we launched it in February. But as an organization, we've been in existence since 2016. So okay. just the point is to refer people to the right places. Right. Just say it again clearly. So that one I abortion supports South Africa and we operate as a telemedical abortion referral service. Okay. So is it an acronym A S A S A yeah. A double S A. Yeah. So we are on every social media network. People can message us. You can email us. Yeah. And before ten weeks we can help you actually get the pills for hundred and eighty rand. Whereas 
it costs so much more elsewhere. Yeah. Over 10 weeks, we will try to get you to a clinic that will really care for you. And for me, it was because after I shared my story publicly, so many women came to me for help. And I thought abortion is legal in South Africa, but accessibility is not there. Right. Either people are dying, they are being scarred for life because of something that shouldn't do that to them. And then what happens next? So there must be a way that we can assist. So yeah, we are colleagues with Mary Stokes and others. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. It really is. You know what like sort of took me aback in when you were talking about this is when you were at that lecture or seminar rather, and it kind of like hits you that you've been thinking of this in a very different way. Can you share a little bit about what was your mentality before that seminar? And then what changed? Yeah. I think my, menten- my mentality before the seminar was that what I had done was murder. Yeah. It was wrong. Yeah. And that's why I held on to the guilt. And that if people knew it said something about my character, that I was irresponsible, promiscuous, if I didn't even say hi to that person who took advantage of me, that should have never happened. So I had this self-loathing. And when I got to the seminar, I found out that what I did was a decision regarding my own life. And I found out that abortions can actually save lives depending on where you are in your life. And found that I have bodily autonomy. Um, and for the longest time, I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. First of all, because remember, somebody had taken that away from me by raping me. And then number two, I had a termination and I didn't see it as something that had to do with bodily autonomy. And that's how Abortion Support South Africa was founded was because I felt completely failed by the system. Yeah. Selena. Yeah. I felt like as a 19-year-old woman at my age, the law says if I require a termination of pregnancy, I should be able to. Right. And an institution that that's unable to get it for me should refer me to one that does. I didn't even know this, but South Africa, um, abortion is the only medical procedure in the country that has its own act away from the entire constitution. It sits on its own. Okay. The choice of termination of abortion act sits on its own. And if you read that, it's quite progressive. And I didn't even know until then. So that type of research healed me to a point where that phantom pain, it went away because then I started focusing on the facts and I started focusing on the fact that, hey, you're one of the girls who had an unsafe termination who could have went septic and down it, but you live to tell the tale. Yeah. And you cannot shut up. You cannot be quiet. Yeah. That's so powerful. Oh, um, I don't know if this is something that you, because obviously it is trauma. Yeah. And you said that you've, you've healed or you are healing from it. Are you comfortable sharing what actually happened? Because, again, as I mentioned earlier, all I have seen or heard about abortion is very similar to you, where it's like, hush, hush, you do it in, like, the back alley or somewhere. And the only sort of um, stories that are told are on, on TV, in movies. Honestly, the first time that I have seen a medical abortion, a legal one happening on screen, was on Grey's Anatomy yeah. recently. And they they did a great job at, like, showing a completely different side to it. It was very calm. It was very compassionate. Yeah. You know, the doctors were like, they didn't even ask the woman why you have an abortion. You know, like not in a way that they didn't care. Mm. But like, she knows herself. She knows her body. And she has made this decision. We know it's not like lightly. Yeah. It was done in a very respectful way. I'm curious. And I know that a lot of other women, especially those who don't believe that 
it's right, and I put that in quotes, mm -hmm. for a woman to have a termination under any circumstances. Can you take us through a little bit of what actually happened? Yeah, like during the procedure. Yeah. Did you get any pre-counseling? You mentioned that during the procedure you didn't get any and afterwards, but what are the sort of steps that you took and what, yeah, what ended up happening? I think I should start you at the rejection from the public facility. Yeah. yeah. That's the first trauma. Yeah. It's, it's that you're rejecting me, but you're supposed to help me. That's the first rejection I got. So you can imagine that psychological impact from that. Yeah. Right. And then the next step was going to this clinic, being told, come tomorrow, have pads. That's it. Nothing else. Second of all, you're nervous. All you know about abortions is all these myths that are out there that they yeah. can move your uterus. And it was before I was very like a Google person like I am now. So I didn't really have the resources or time to like research what was happening. I just literally just rocked up and it was a matter of if I die, I die before that was a thing we used. And when you get there, there's just a queue. Mm. And in the queue, there's women of different ages. I remember there was a woman who looked much older than all of us who were there and she was alone. And there was this child with her mother mm. and I think she had already taken the pills and she was unraveling all over the floor and that was scary. Now you're sitting in this queue and there are people inside. It's almost like if you go into the labor ward, it's almost similar where you can hear others screaming. So mm. we were hearing the same thing. Yeah. So I was sitting there with my cousin and I'm hearing other women screaming on that and I'm thinking, should I do this? Now I'm like really questioning myself, should I go ahead? No, but I can't keep this. Also because I felt so depressed being pregnant. It was like, I, I want this to go. I didn't want it. And you were how many weeks by then? Um, I think I was about four, eight or something. Yeah. yeah I was before 10. Yeah. Like about eight or something like yeah. that. And then when I go in, there's this bucket of almost like clots. And first of all, you think, are those the thing they were taking out of others? The rule really stinks. Mm. Those are not really good. And you don't really know whether they plead for the other person or not. There were two nurses. That's I'm assuming that that place they do this it's just that they were doing it without authorization coaching and then because they needed money we were too many so yeah I had to agribash us right right so now they're talking amongst each other they're not talking to you they just put you in the bed they put your legs up on it i can't remember what the word is those stirrups stirrups so like yeah. in the guy's yeah, yeah. legs on those but they don't discuss anything yeah so they just tell you to shut up and sit there and so what are they talking about? I think they were speaking in Zulu at the time. I didn't really yeah. I didn't really understand it as much. But they were gossiping about something that happened over the week. Yeah. yeah. But they had offered me a pill before I went in. Okay. So you get a bit of cramps and then you go to the toilet and then they tell you that if you see blood, it's your turn. So once the blood starts, and the blood is quite fresh blood. It's like very pinkish. Yeah. It's like really fresh. Then they tell you that the lady at reception tells you, once you start bleeding, just let her know because then it means it's your turn. Okay. So then I went in. And then while I was in, while they were putting all those things, they're having a conversation. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, um, and they insert something inside my vagina. And it, it just feels like um, like a, some metal thing inside of me. Yeah. Just feels, but then that small little thing, after she puts it in, in and I can feel it like in my uterus, it's almost like she's grinding. It almost felt like something was being detached from my body. 
like part of me was yeah. taken out of my body. Yeah. But I could feel everything. Yeah. It's like surgery, but you can feel it. So they didn't give you any kind of like painkillers no. or nothing? No. Apparently it's called a vacuum aspirator. Yeah. And then they just keep drilling and drilling and drilling. And I'm screaming and I'm trying to hold this woman so that she can tell that woman to stop. But they're just looking at me like, fam, no, we're not stopping. We've already started. Yeah. And then at some point I just gave up on crying and screaming and I just laid there until she was done but it was very very painful I mean I'd been through labor and that was really really sore yeah um that was different um it was a pain I can't even explain and as I'm saying to you I would have that phantom pains and once they were done it just felt like I'm raw like I just gave birth but in the most something went inside and just chewed me up that's how it felt and then they tell you to go to the next room and lie on your tummy yeah but then you feel like lying there for a very long time, but then in like 10 minutes, they're like, you need to go somewhere else and to take the bed. And at that time, you're so weak and you're bleeding. And then you have to dress and walk out of there. And me and my cousin, we had to take a taxi. And I think we got home and I had some painkillers and I slept. I don't know how long I slept for. The next day when I woke up, it was almost as if whatever's coming out of me is mixed with pus or something. Yeah. Look different. Yeah. And the cramps were bad and I was feverish and I was sweaty. And she then called, luckily they answered. She called them back. That's how to say probably in the jet clinic, they're just doing it their own thing on the side and then they don't clean up the stuff properly because they're in a rush. Yeah. They don't want to be caught or something. And they just said, huh, just get her painkillers or something. She'll be fine. But I ended up going to an actual doctor who gave me antibiotics and she just said, no, it seems like something foreign entered your uterus, but we didn't clean it out with antibiotics. Please strictly take it. I had to tell the doctor the truth that yeah. I've had a termination. This is where I had it. It's just like, I'm glad you came now because some people wait weeks up to weeks and then it's either we have to remove your entire uterus or um, you die. She gave me enough medication and I recovered. And I remember for a while, I thought, I Dad, I'll have children. And then I think it was in my third or, yeah, third year before I had my son, I had a boyfriend who was like, you're so worried about this. Let's just go see a gynecologist. And I remember I was so nervous when I got to that gynecologist office that she's going to look at my toes and think, oh my gosh, everything is immense. I think the first thing she said when she put her thing in there, she's like, just so beautiful. She was like, you was the babies that I need to come out of there. And I was like, I cried. Because I thought they ruined me or something, and I was so emotional. And I think for me, that was the f also the first step of just the healing journey. Yeah. And feeling like I don't ever want any young woman, especially because it happens to young women, to ever go through what I went through. Yeah. And, and also the idea, because like now I'm listening to your story, and I can I can really just it, I can't even imagine. I know it's like uh, I I I can't find the words to because there's the trauma of your rape. Mm. And now there's this uh, additional trauma of this, you know. Because I had to forget about the rape. I had yeah. to focus on this. Yeah. And the fact that no one held your hand through that. I mean, your cousin was there. Thank, thank she you. She was yelling at me. She didn't yeah. know it was happening. Yeah. But no one who was put in a position of authority, of, you know, caretaking was, you know, able to sort of like, like you said, sit you down and actually ask what happened to you and why have you come to this decision? Is there something we can do to help? Mm. So when when did you, your dad must know because you're so active mm. 
and you're so vocal about this online. When did you start telling your family and other people the, the story? My dad actually passed away in 2012. It was way before my activism. Um, and I think part of the reason I'm also confident to speak now is because it sounds weird, but he's not here. So I don't have to fight with him about it. Yeah. But I don't know how he would have responded to me because by the time he died, he already started seeing me become active in a lot of issues mm. already. But I hadn't started sharing that. I started really sharing in 2016. Okay. I was a mom then and my son was born in 2014. Becoming a mom also made it really important to me that motherhood becomes a choice. And that's also the reason why I decided it, it actually encouraged me to share some more because I became a mom and I was like, what? This is what we have to go through. And people want to force us to go through this. Yes. So I was supposed to carry a pregnancy and didn't want for the sake of what novelty, because we assume it's going to be a president or something of that sort. And I became a mom and I saw the amount of work that comes with that and the amount of self-sacrifice. Yeah. Sacrificing your body. I mean, I breastfed my son for two years, you know, sacrificing your dreams, yeah. your, your career. Mm -hmm. Your, your, your life. My life completely changed when I became a mom. And I thought to myself, no, motherhood should definitely be a choice. Nobody should be forced just because they felt pregnant to keep that pregnancy. But if you have other kids, they still need you. And it happened because pregnancy happens. You know, or what if you were raped? Or what if, it doesn't matter really what the reasons are. The reason is if you want determination, there must be something that is compelling you to want determination. And me being a mom said to me, ah, I need to talk about this. I need to talk about why people deserve abortions that are respected, cared for, and where they feel empowered instead of disempowered and put down. I think that's the thing. Like, you know, I I feel like the, the topic of abortion is so multi-layered. And I mean, you have the religious aspect. And when I say religious, I'm talking about I'm covering most religions. They, they all have their opinions, guidelines or whatever on abortions. So you have that layer. Then you have societal pressures and opinions. But then you have those people who are very much like, um, I am pro-life unless she's been raped. Then I can understand. It's almost like picking and choosing in a way that when is it okay? Yeah. When is it okay for a woman to have an abortion? And then when is it not? What I've always, and especially in the news with um, Roe versus Wade, the, you know, the overturn of that, um, I think for me, I struggle to understand why it is such an issue for other people if a woman, especially a woman who they don't know, they don't know her circumstances, they don't know what led to the pregnancy, what led to her decision for the abortion, but they're so adamantly against it. Did you find that kind of resistance yeah. when you started speaking up about your abortion? You know, I did. Yeah. And I think with the organization, I've been called many things. Yeah. I listened to what you were saying and how you were saying that, you know, people don't know this woman, don't know. But Think about it, Aisha, it's with everything that yeah. you can do. Yeah. <laughs> it's with everything. So with, with the termination, it's because people like to say, no, it's about the the, the life that's in you. Yeah. But what people don't want to admit is that underlying that, it's the fact that they really feel like we should be baby making. You shouldn't. And that's it. And that's it. People don't want to admit that they see us as vessels yeah. and not people. Yes. Even in the way that, you know, I always say on my Instagram that I have a love and hate relationship with motherhood. Yeah. Because motherhood as encapsulated by society actually just means self-sacrifice. Right. And yeah. Leaving all your dreams aside yeah. and just 
being everything to your children, like, oh my gosh, and mothers in love is yeah. No other love. Like we're not complex. Like we're yeah. complicated. Like we can't have wars with our children. Yeah. Drama with yeah. our children. You know? Because that happens with human. We're complex people. But at the bottom of it all is that society does not see women as people. And that's why for me, whether you're a mother or not a mother, women always have to stand in solidarity with each other because either way, society doesn't respect what we what we want to wait. Society doesn't respect how we want to live our lives. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, there's this thing about masculine energy because we want to be empowered and have resources. Want to have a voice? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We can't have resources. We can't have a voice. So I think for me, now with termination of pregnancy, I think what adds to it being such a big factor where you see people at abortion, outside abortion clinics with, with placards, especially in America, because now there's a religious aspect to it. Yeah. And now they can use that to kind of, they can clear their conscience oh, when they do it. Mm -hmm. it. It seems like a normal horse, it seems. And I'm always told women who come to me and they're like, I'm a Christian and I want to do this. And I'm like, I'm never ever going to tell you that your religion is wrong because that's not my place. I'm going to tell you that from what I know, God forgives. And Jesus already died for your sins. So whatever you choose to do, don't listen to people. Listen to what your religion says. Whatever is helpful to you in your healing journey as well. I'm not going to say to you, no, leave the church. You had, they, they hate you because you... I would never say that. Yeah. But what I will say to you is at the heart of your religion is love. Hang on to that. But at the bottom of everything, it's also a pregnancy is not guaranteed and that's what people don't understand i just want to share this quickly because i think it's important i think it was 2017 yeah a mother came to me and her 16 year old had gotten pregnant luckily it wasn't rape um it was a teenage thing but that the boy was also young and you know the thing of not having sex talk with your kids and she was really struggling with the idea of termination who was struggling, the mom, you know, okay. And it being a sin and because of her religion and I understood how convicted she was and I tried to support her as much as I could, the child ended up going ahead with the pregnancy. And the mom was like, no, we're going to support her. We're going to buy baby stuff. We're going to be there. And I was like, I mean, I wouldn't choose for you. Um, I don't know what your doctor was. It's up to you. And she came back to me a nice later and said, my, my child died during labor. And she felt like, she killed a child. Oh my God. And I said to her, oh. I had to help hold her through it as well because I understood how complex it was for her as yeah. an African woman. Yeah. I grew up at an African church. And, you know, these are the stories she that she was doing, doing the right thing. She thought she was doing the right thing. But also, you can't tell because yeah. you believe people go to labor wards every yeah. day, but complications happen. Yeah. And unfortunately, all she got back was her granddaughter. And I said to her, Your daughter has given you a daughter now. You get another chance, not the same child. I'm not saying we are replacing your child, but those are the stories that people don't hear about. That's why I do the work I do. Another one that's that people don't get to hear about a mom of about, I think she had three kids. Yeah. Unemployed, living at home. You can imagine she's already been told, oh my gosh, you will end up as nothing. Look at you, busy having kids. She already has that trauma of being, of feeling like a burden. Yeah. Because she has three kids already. She has no job. The father is not really as present. She lives in poverty. She gets pregnant and she came to me quite late. So she texts me on Facebook. She doesn't test the organization's page. She texts me directly. Yeah. I went to this guy. I've got abortion pills and I'm in my room and the baby. Baby's head is out, but the whole body's not coming out, and I don't know what to do. And I said to her, Where's everybody else? And she said, They're on that in the other rooms. Brother, you're gonna bleed to death. You need to get help. She said, They're gonna judge me. I'm like, Your life 
is way more than people judging you. And that was because of an unsafe abortion. I had to walk her through getting help and saying to her, I would rather you live and be talented than your, your kids lose you because you're afraid of being judged. But this woman was willing to risk bleeding to death. Yeah. Because of fear yeah. of being told she's useless. Yeah. Here she is again. Here she's doing this thing again. And now here she is because she went to a back door thing and it was already too late. And she was mocked. You know, when she did get help and she did get to the hospital, she was mocked. She wasn't cared for. That's what women go through. And I think for me, that's that's why I do what I do. It's because these are the stories a lot of people are silent about what they go through. And hospitals are not going to tell us how many women are dying each year because of failed terminations. So this is why I do what I do. And this is why I believe that motherhood should be a choice. Because I feel like, especially in this country, a lot of women don't get to choose. Yeah. Um, some women live in situations where they can't negotiate condom use with their partners, even their husbands, yeah. because of the legacy of gender-based violence. And these are the realities that we have to face. Not every woman is as empowered as how. If I had to get pregnant tomorrow, I know if I'm not ready, what I would do. Another woman doesn't have that. Yeah, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because a lot of people, and I've had that in, in, in my TMs, I don't really talk about abortion so much like on my on my platform as they don't talk about a lot of other issues. But there there are one or two times that I've maybe reposted a post. And I recently posted uh, or reposted um, someone, um, the the photo was of these, you know, protesters outside an abortion clinic and stuff. But it was actually women who were pro-choice yeah. holding the placards. Yeah. And it said something, I'm paraphrasing here, it said something like, um, you know what else uh, prevents pregnancies, vasectomy, yes. snip, snip, mother. And I was just like, yes, yes, that's what it's about. And so I reposted that. And just by me reposting it, I got quite a few like messages and and people, you know, really trying to impose saying, no, but even either way, it's not right. You can't tell me that just if men got vasectomies, then we wouldn't have abortion problem. Like, no, I'm not saying that it would completely cancel us, but it will help. Because at the end of the day, the problem with society is that they're placing the entire responsibility of conception and, you know, like procreation on us as women. We can't get pregnant on our own. Where are the men in this? And someone once said that if men were the ones who needed abortion, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be in this situation. The access would be yes. If men needed abortions, if men gave birth... We wouldn't have the issues the birth, as many birth, like, okay, some birth complications are unavoidable, yeah, but that aren't. And that's just due to negligence on the medical staff, or, I mean, we could write a book on that. So, you know, how you're talking about now, there are circumstances, and I'd love for you to maybe just elaborate a little bit on that, just for those people who still think that every woman is as empowered, educated, self-assured, as whatever, you know, other adjective it is to be able to tell her partner, whether it's her husband mm. or boyfriend, or unfortunately somebody who is raping her, mm. please wear a condom. I'm not on any contraception. I might get pregnant. You know, there's so many other layers, you know, situations and scenarios where a woman will get pregnant against her will. Well, yeah. Can you share a couple more of those? The the challenge about living in South Africa is that the inequality is so great yeah. that we can both live in South Africa but have completely different reality yes. and in you, right? Yes. That's what we're fighting more than we're fighting just poverty in South Africa. And what inequality does is that it creates a situation where some of us live in bubbles. Yeah. And we don't realize that in 
so many corners of this country. There are so many women who don't have access to those contraceptives that you're telling us to go yes. Yeah. all the time, that you're bashing down our throat, where clinics are under-resourced. They don't have the correct resources or the nurses, right? Those places exist. People think contraceptives are way more than available. Yeah. Also, some women don't have the same nutrition as you to take the contraceptive that you want them to take. It goes with nutrition. It goes with lifestyle. It goes with what you drink, what you eat. There are people in this country who don't get the same amount of food that you get and the same nutrition you get. It's the same with breastfeeding. Yeah. For some reason, we understand it when it comes to breastfeeding, but we don't understand it when it comes to, you know, contraceptives. Yeah. But there are women in this country who, who have no choice but to depend on men, whether it's their father, their uncle, their partner. Yeah. Right? There are many women who can't speak up to their husbands, who can't say a thing. There are many women who are so disempowered that their self-worth depends on a man. Yeah. Because of the history that we come from. We only talk about the history of apartheid and its legacy. We, we hardly talk about the legacy of gender-based violence and how it has affected and impacted on women as years go by. And that's why I hate trace feminism, which says that uh, a woman's choice is inherently feminist. It's not. Some choices are harmful and some women don't have the choices that you think they have yeah. because they don't have agency. Yeah, I have agency. My cousin back in the Northwest has little to no agency as compared to me because of the environment that she exists in. Well, her voice in a community meeting does not matter. Well, her issues, I mean, I lived in Proteate, which is a, a, a township in Soweto. Yeah. And I remember a time when there was a lot of crimes and break-ins. This is just an example, right? Crimes and break-ins, little organizing women starts to be protectors, right? And then they were saying, every man must come represent a woman in that forum for security. And I remember raising the point that the majority of women who live here don't have husbands. They are women-headed households. So women are not allowed in the forum. Who's going to speak for women? Yeah. And also you guys, when it comes to crime, you're worried about your plasma TV being stolen. We're worried about being raped. I mean, there was a time when I was mugged and how they neutralized me by, was by touching my breasts. Yeah. Because they know that yeah. my body is their war zone and they can yes. play around to make me fear, right? But what I'm trying to communicate is that not all of us as a, are as empowered in yeah. our homes. Not all of us can say to our husbands, no, I'd like to use a condom. Not all of us can walk down the street and not be taken advantage of. Not all of us can apply for a job and not be asked for sex first and raw sex, that is. We don't all have these. And for me, the thing is with people who don't believe abortion should happen, my thing is always, you don't have to believe in abortion for you. Yeah. What you need to know is that they will happen whether you believe in them or not and whether they are legal or not. The question is, do you want the people who go through them to suffer, to die, or do you want them to go through them in a healthy and supported way? That's what intersectionality encourages of me as a feminist to see other women and see their realities outside of my own and not just base everything in my views on my own my life. But also there's abortion that saves lives. There are pregnancies that could kill other women. Yeah. And when you say termination in its entirety must not be allowed, you're putting those women at risk. For what? For a belief, you know? And we should never allow men to make decisions about our bodies. If you live in South Africa, know that there's people facing things that you wouldn't imagine in 2023. I think that's so key, what you just said now, is this idea, and I think a lot of it comes from, I would never have an abortion. It's like, okay, so don't. But that doesn't mean that somebody else shouldn't have the right to choose to have an, ab to have an abortion. Yeah, not. Had it all from Kaimicha, who 
just got accepted at UCT. Yeah. It's her family's first person yeah. to ever go to varsity. Yeah. There are 10 other people looking up to Tando to ensure that she graduates. Tando makes love for the first time at varsity. Tando doesn't know much about contraceptives and sex. Tando gets pregnant. No one spoke to her. Yeah. Tando gets pregnant and Tando, do you want all those 10 other people to suffer because Tando got pregnant? Because Tando's choosing. If Tando's saying, no, I'll carry the pregnancy and feed all of them. But Tando's saying, I can't. I have too many. My nafsa's money is already... And then people say, no, but don't have sex. That is dehumanizing. We should call for a systematic support. We should call for schools to educate on sex. We should call for schools to educate on, on condoms. We should call for these contraceptives to be available, to be healthy. It's layered. It's, it's systematic. Yeah. Like there's, you can't leave one side yeah. behind. And that's why for me, do not take abortion away from family planning. It's part of it. And then you also have an even more unspoken about aspect of that. Now you're saying like the family planning part. You have married couples. Yeah. Couples who, I'll put in air quotes, supposed to have children. They're supposedly supposed to be ready for pregnancy at any time. But for whatever reason, and there, there's many, kids are expensive. You're not, let's be real. As much as, yes, I also believe children are blessings and all of that, but they're not necessarily always going to come at a good time. I think that a lot of people remove all of these other factors that make up a good upbringing, yeah. you know, uh, for parents to actually successfully raise a child. Uh-huh. There is the financial aspect. There's obviously the mental aspect of it. You have to give a lot, like you were saying earlier. It is very demanding physically. It's very demanding emotionally you know do you have all of those things in place and i think people just assume if you're married then you do Hmm. but a lot of women are in abusive marriages a lot of women are you know in marriages where maybe the husband is the only breadwinner and they already have five kids it is really multi-layered it's people saying take responsibility for your actions what about the termination but also Choosing to terminate is it how much more responsibility do you need to take? What it's the same thing as how people will say, Oh, but single mothers complain too much, they must take responsibility. I'm raising a kid alone, it's taking responsibility. Going to an abortion clinic, standing, how is that the easy way? Yeah, uh, how do you why do you call that? And why shouldn't women have an easy way? Yeah, why should it always be difficult? Yes, why should it be hard? So, those are the type of things that Tano is taking responsibility, and that's why whenever young women come to me and say, I decided to have an abortion, and then I just needed to tell someone, my first thing is always, I'm so proud of you. Because nobody's ever going to say that to me. Yeah. People are just going to be, well, are you sure? You know, what does God say? Or what does your mouth? I always start by saying, I am so proud. And that just brings them to tears yeah. because it's like they know who will say I'm proud of you. Yeah. Because it's a huge thing. It's massive. To decide. Yeah. Because you don't even know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's mess. It's your body. Yeah. You know, and it must be terrifying. But also the whole thing of like, okay. Say I took responsibility and now I am having this baby. I don't want this baby for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't want this baby. I can't afford to take care of this child. Even if I'm disciplined enough to not ever utter the words, I didn't want you or I was not ready for you. That child is going to feel that growing up. That's always my question for people who are like, if you're already pregnant, you should keep the child. Okay. What happens to the child when the mother delivers? Oh, you can give it up for adoption. Okay. But there's a lot of children, you know, for adoption. 
um, a lot of children don't end up getting adopted. It's not like a magical thing that people are just having out babies. <laughs> you know, you're not guaranteed that they're going to have a baby. That too. What happens is so they are dog those eggs full of queuing exactly. kids. I wrote an article about how I resented my son. And I think that's one of the sort of stories that people never talk about. That too. Of how I got to a point of like, I was like, what? Yeah. This is my life. Yeah. I chose this. Yeah. And I wrote that because I know that a lot of mothers feel it yes but don't talk about it and for me it's also that i want to validate that we do go through a process of resenting our children some of us not everybody just falls in love uh, they kid the minute they born. Yeah. i did i mean the first day was nice but later when i then became a single mom because i was a single mom for a while after giving birth because his dad was a no-show for a while he came back into our lives but during that period that i had no support i resented my child and because i had nobody to process that with me yeah. I took it out, out of my child and that's how today I became the conscious parent I am and I want mothers to know that it, you can heal from that and we don't talk about it enough and that's what she's talking about it's because most mothers won't be able to admit actually they don't want this yeah. and it's not that you don't you don't love your child or you don't like the child it's the circumstances it's the circumstances and also are you going to be there those people who are who are anti-abortion are you going to be there for the mother if she goes ahead and has this baby has society put in those support structures to support the moms who didn't want the baby but because of law because of whatever pressure they want to hand have the baby i feel as with all moms yeah whether they considered abortion or not or whether they plan to have the baby i honestly feel that the majority of the times you give birth and you are on your own absolutely you're on your own you are lucky if you have a supportive involved partner slash husband um parents who are there to support you if you're having a bad day if you're sick it's like got a war children with exactly like, where are all of these it only points about some lot of nurses and you should see that on my tiktok i mean it's all over my tiktok i yeah. talk about these issues and mothers just pour themselves out that i'm tying it yeah that i'm struggling that i'm alone and that's the other thing is nobody's queuing up to change policies that are yes. for all parents right or systematic support yeah. i remember there was a mother who asked me a very good question because like you talk about all this nice parenting and listening to our kids but where's the support how do we touch it when i'm alive and i said you're right you're correct and i talk about it in the midst of understanding yeah that even me i suffer from depression even me i go through unemployment i'm unemployed now mothers are facing racism housing issues some are getting raped at work all of these kinds of things and we're still expected to perform miracles in our own homes and so and raise healthy well-adjusted children who don't misbehave in public like they should not have a tantrum yeah (laughs) yeah Exactly, yeah. The the quick summary is that you, you had the termination, then you had your firstborn. Mm-hmm. And then I think I saw on social media, correct me if I'm wrong, that you, 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 had, you had another termination. So that was after your firstborn? After my firstborn, yeah. Can you quickly tell us what happened yeah. there? I had my son in 2014, and then I broke up with his father, I think a year after he was born. Things were just not going well. Yeah. Met a new person. I went on a contraceptive immediately after I gave him the birth, but I was gaining so much weight, and it was just not working for me. Got off of it, and um, I think a few months after that, I got pregnant again. Yeah. My partner at the time was... 
he was a great guy, but I don't think we were at that stage of, you know, family. We're still trying to get to know each other. And I was also raising a new child. He was very supportive and everything. He was also not from the country. He was like on a work visa. And we decided, no, we're not going to keep this. We're going to terminate. And I went to Mary Stops and I had a medical abortion that was very well taken care of. Yeah. Semi self-administered abortion. That's what we call them, where you get a pill at the clinic and then they give you another pill. So the first pill is to detach the pregnancy cells. I say cell because it wasn't yet a fetus. Yes. From the uterus. And then you get a pill for the next day where now that pill removes the cells from your body in, in the form of clots. Right. Then pregnancies dispat. Yeah. So I took my pill at the clinic, went home. That first pill, you feel nothing. The second pill, there's a bit of cramping. It was like period cramps. Like I could, I don't know how people's period cramps are, but I know they shouldn't be too excruciating. Yeah. And I had a hot water bottle. Then later that day, I could feel the clots coming out. Then I sat on the toilet and they come out. I flushed them. Usually they tell you not to come back unless you have an issue. Yeah. But I called them and they said it sounded like I'm okay. And I didn't get like a long extended counseling, but the nurse did speak to me. Um, she did explain what was going to happen. This was before, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she did speak to me. She did tell me um, what was going to happen how I was going to feel. And then they also gave me warning signs like red flannels. Oh, yeah. This is the emergency number. If this is what you feel, if this is what's happening, this is, you know. And then the recovery is like two weeks of bleeding. So I was able to go back to work. It was like having a period or just having given birth, but without the stitches and all the other trauma of birth. Yeah. And then I was able to go to work with a pad on and it was just, it's something I don't even think about mm. a lot. I think we made a very good decision. Mm. Yeah. Five years later, I got my toddler yeah i think that the, the age gap was so huge yeah. <laughs> because they like we have this older brother and the sibling yeah. and he also so cute yeah and he came on a very traumatic birth um had a had his coat around his neck um came out blue as hell um and you know the midwife has to choose so i had a, i had him at home um which was really great um i felt like for that birth i was more community supported yeah and I had a midwife who was very supportive. And physically, it was painful. But in terms of having people around me, it was really great. Yeah. I'm so, like, I'm feeling so educated. And I'm feeling so grateful to you for sharing your story. I, I know, I know it's going to be helping so many women. I hope so. Yeah. It will. I hope it so. Will. Yeah. So, how? What is your whole mama truth? My whole mama truth is that um, motherhood should be a choice and I'm proud of choosing not to be pregnant when I did not want to be. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I think of all the episodes we have put together this season, this one has definitely been the most hard-hitting. And I say that because there were so many things about Howell's story that I had never heard of. When you hear about abortion, we hear about pro-life, pro-choice, it feels very almost just straightforward. When in reality, it's hardly ever the case. And I really, really appreciate that Howell is not just passionate about sharing her story on her platforms, but she came here to share hers here as well. My mission with this podcast always has been and always will be to share the untold stories of a motherhood. 
So let me know your thoughts, but please keep them respectful. I do believe that we can have a healthy discussion around this very sensitive topic and respect other people's opinions. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate all of the feedback that I have received on this season. Please go ahead and leave a review for me. A quick one-liner and a rating out of five is perfect. It is massive on podcasts and it helps me reach more women with these stories. If you're listening on a podcast player that doesn't give you that option, a quick share on your social media would be perfect. You can tag me at Aisha and Life. That's A-I-S-H-A-A-N-D-L-I-F-E. You can also follow my honest journey of motherhood on my blog, AishaandLife.com. And you can watch the video version of this episode on my YouTube channel, also Aisha and Life. Once again, I'm Aisha O'Reilly, and I hope this episode has left you feeling a little bit more whole, mama.